0: Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast, where we talk to the world's most creative people. I'm your faithful host, Sourdough. And man, do we have a great show for you today. Today, we're going to meet Ronnie Peravino of Articulate Services, LLC. Ronnie is an art collector, art advisor, NFT curator, strategist who hails from Denver, Colorado. You might have seen Ronnie's work because he's doing some important stuff. His projects with Christie's to help them connect their traditional collectors with the NFT space and his accomplishments include, very interestingly, being the world's largest collector of cause artworks. Yes, the one and only cause. Our new friend, Ronnie Pervino, is the world's largest collector of cause. How cool is that? Anyway, what I love about Ronnie is how he helps artists and arts organizations understand this new world of web three and nfts and navigate it in a way that feels really comfortable and safe and he's just such a really passionate advocate and empathetic advisor helping us understand the wild wild west that is the new world of web 3 and nfts i love talking to ronnie super generous gracious dude i know you're going to love hearing from him too so without further ado let's get into this and hear from the one and only ronnie perovino Ronnie Paravina, welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast.
1: My pleasure.
0: Man, it's so great to have you here. I mean, you know, you actually found time out of your busy schedule to come chat with us. I'm so grateful.
1: Oh, it's a privilege for me because, you know, it it gives me an opportunity to really just talk about what I love.
0: Absolutely. And we have that love in common, right? We're both art lovers. I don't know about you. I try to make art from time to time. But as I like to say, I'm not a real artist. So, you know, you'd be the judge <laughs> as to whether or not what I make is actually art. But this is my creative expression, too. I like to Absolutely. approach these podcasts with that creative spirit and that integrity, you know, that comes with good art. And so with our conversation today, you know, I was just thinking a little bit about how to approach it because, I'm not going to front. I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm a big crypto guy with a big NFT collection. I'm yeah. not, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. think I represent in this conversation, actually a lot of artists like like a lot of artists or a lot of people who are really fascinated, really curious, mm-hmm. maybe a little scared, <laughs> you know, don't, don't really know, you know, what to do, but they're fascinated. So, so I think in this conversation, I might represent you know, that artist or that neophyte who's trying to learn.
1: Indeed, indeed. And I love that that is what you represent because to a degree, I believe that for the NFT space to really flourish, we need to bring folks like you on. You know, we can't be stuck in this kind of like crypto native mode where, you know, it's just the kids, so to speak, who are like really growing up with this stuff. And that they are the only ones that kind of are at the party, so to speak. You know, we, we really need to to build those bridges. And that's that's a lot of what I intend to do.
0: Oh, right on, man. Now, you and I are totally aligned around that because my whole thing generally, you know, before NFTs sort of exploded, I guess, in our little world, you know, the whole thing has been about for us trying to bring art to the people and people to the art, you know, you know, create nurturing a mass market for it. That's what artists need. Artists need regular folks to understand that they can buy original art for 500 bucks. They can buy original art for a thousand bucks. You know, we hear, or, you know, and that most original art available for sale out there is priced between a hundred bucks and 10,000 bucks period. You know absolutely. what I mean? It's just, and there's a ton of people out there that can buy that stuff. If only they felt empowered and knew where to look. And so, on. and then so suddenly, you know, we have this whole digital explosion. And one of the reasons I was so excited to kind of chat with you is, you know, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm a, I was born in 1970, so I'm Gen X and I came up, yep. you know, from analog to digital. We saw it happen, didn't we? Oh,
1: absolutely. Oh, yes, indeed. <laughs> incredible.
0: It's incredible. And so, and I think we may have been in Chicago at the same time because you went to Northwestern, yeah.
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I lived.
0: I'm from, from the Chicagoland area. I lived downtown all through the '90s uh, during the oh, Bulls' yes. reign. That's it. so. That's yeah. It. So we <laughs> we have that. And I actually worked in advertising for a while too, and branding. So I. So Amazing. you and I have some interesting connections, and yes, and did. so I wanted to talk about you know this kind of explosion because you know I'm 52 now, and you know I was at an event to actually Designer Con. I'm sure you've mm, heard of yeah. DesignerCon.
1: Yes, of course. Yes.
0: We exhibit there every year and help produce ah, it yes. for a few years. And uh, Ben uh, Gretzky and team are dear, dear friends. And so anyway, they have, of course, have panels there. And uh, the panel last November, they had a panel, of course, on NFTs. And mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, my buddy, Mark Bricky from Adventures in Design, shout out, Mark. He was hosting the panels and I was attending his panels. And it was interesting because there was probably 300 chairs you know, in the area for the panels. And, you know, I had gone to the previous panels and, you know, no offense to Mark or to the panelists, but there was maybe a hundred people, 50 people, you know, it Mm. was, it was, you know, Mm. very modest attendance, but then Uh I show up at this NFT panel and it's standing room only. I mean, there's like 300 plus people there Uh anxious to have this conversation. Uh And Mark, Mark very interestingly started his panel discussion with a question. He said, you know, who here owns an NFT? Hmm. And hmm. I was probably the only person that didn't raise their hand. I mean, 300 people raised their hand. Wow. Now, I was probably one of the oldest people there. I mean, I think the a- age range was somewhere between, you know, 15 and 30 or 20 or 18 and 35, something like that, gotcha. right? So, gotcha. so it was um, it was amazing to me. And then <laughs> the next question was, okay, so out of all of you who, have, who own an NFT, who has sold one for a profit and virtually every hand went up? Wow, And so for me as a 50, you know, I was like, wow, this truly is, at least at this point, a young man's or young woman, young person's game, right? Yes. Yes. And they're born digital and they just see this thing. They see this whole world differently. Absolutely. And, and so I'm just so fascinated because I don't want to be left behind, man. I want to be relevant.
1: (laughs) Totally, (laughs) totally, totally. What's going on? Well, you know, it's funny because you know, during the pandemic, especially during that time, I was watching what my kids were doing and I have a 10-year-old and an eight-year-old. And uh, this is in at this point, I, I think we're in 2020. And, you know, I was truly amazed by how they understood the Roblox economy. There's this whole world that, you know, really small children are, kind of in the midst of and are being trained to sort of understand the metaverse and understand the economics of of digital assets. And they are being exposed to this, you know, from the moment that they are able to log into platform like Roblox. And Roblox, believe it or not, has become like this sort of generational training ground. And you know, that is what gave me you know the real realization that digital assets are now something that we can look at from a perspective of ownership from a perspective of collecting from a perspective of owning and this wasn't really possible before before the nft medium you know we were left with with a very very clumsy way to potentially collect a digital work. And this sort of very rudimentary way to collect that work just didn't make any sense for the people that truly understand that ownership has to be crystal clear when it comes to, you know, possessing something, you know, there's, you know, if you own a house, there's a title, if you own, you know, you own anything, there is a very, very clear sort of proof of ownership. And so, the NFT medium just just kind of switched everything up in the digital space because it went from everything kind of being this kind of temporary sort of stuff. Like you know, you saw websites come and go. You saw you know videos come and go. You know, like the you know stuff just disappears. You know, um, you know there's you know obviously there's some measures like web archives that keeps something sort of alive for you know for kind of in perpetuity as a historical kind of capsules and so on and so forth but the nft really then became this very very tangible way to own and very very much be able to collect work that was just previously truly ethereal and temporary and you never thought of anything digital as being something that you know, that could be kept forever. You know, it just had this feeling of like very kind of like transitory media. But all of that really has changed with the medium of NFTs because it really uses the blockchain to cement that permanence. And, you know, I often joke with folks that, you know, when we start to experience art on other planets it's going to be NFTs, you know, it's going to be, you know, these digital, you know, assets that are able to leave this planet and everything that man has made physically, you know, will very likely stay on earth. But like, you know, you start to think about Mars and what's going to go, go on over there. It's going to be a, you know, NFTs that are going to make it up, you know, and, and then you start to think about how, you know, all of this is changing because, With the kids, especially, you know, they view these possessions as their own and they have a relationship. There's this level of reverence that they have placed on digital possessions that our generations simply didn't have. You know, we relate to, to cars, we relate to paintings, we relate to sculptures. And, you know, and more and more, the youth of today you know, are embracing virtual assets as, you know, as their works of art. And, you know, for us, it's really just kind of being open to that notion, you know, like not really kind of like thinking that that is something that we can't be a part of, you know, like it's, you got to kind of be open to it. And once you're open to it and you start to learn that like, Well, there might be something that really interests you. Now you have to kind of figure out how to buy that crypto, how to keep it in your wallet, which is, to me, that's probably the hurdle that we're dealing with at the moment as the most significant kind of stumbling block, perhaps, on the path for greater adoption is this kind of technical layer that exists.
0: Right. That seems to be the sort of primary barrier to entry for most folks, right? Because as I understand it, less than 1% of the world's population has a crypto wallet. Well, you need a crypto wallet to be able to play, right? And this idea that, I mean, for me personally, like I think for anybody really, we want to, it needs to be easy to convert dollars to crypto and crypto to dollars, right? You know, like that's got to happen pretty quickly. And I I know they're working on all that, but you've hit on so many things that are so important because you know a cake is made of ingredients right and you've sort of referenced several ingredients here that kind of power this whole thing and you know i remember myself first reading about the blockchain oh i don't know 2005 or something and yeah. i you know and i was yeah. just fascinated i was fascinated mm-hmm. because i understood early on that it was really at the end of the day, a registry that would, a decentralized registry that would allow people to claim ownership around a given item or thing or whatever the case might happen to be record or whatever. And I was fascinated by that. And of course I wasn't, I mean, I don't, don't remember when I first heard the term NFT, I heard crypto long before, I mean, you know, crypto I read about, you know, a long time ago too, but then all of a sudden you start hearing about NFTs and NFT art and, You know, and it's been interesting because I think defining the terms is so important, right? And making sure that people understand what the terms are. And for me, I'll just speak from my own personal experience. I think I made a mistake, and correct me, you know, if I'm still making a mistake, but I think I was making the mistake of conflating NFTs with art. Mm -hmm. And I think what I started to realize was that no, 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 actually, The NFT portion is the certificate of authenticity or the certificate of ownership or the token that proves that I own this art piece that is attached to the. Now, do I have that right?
1: You do have it right. And you actually are hitting on a very, very, very fascinating topic to me, which is terminology, the vernacular, the vocabulary used to really kind of. Transact and underpin this sort of space. It is vocabulary that is being driven by crypto natives. And to a degree, this sort of sphere of terminology can be daunting and it can actually be a gatekeeping device. And to a degree, I think that it is intimidating. The terminology itself is. A factor in all of this because, you know, you have to learn all this kind of new vocabulary to even understand, you know, what's going on because there is this technical layer. And so the NFT, when you step back, it is the technology and the people that produce technology that really have brought us this new medium. So They really haven't thought of like ways to make this broadly appealing. They really have, you know, this kind of native approach that is very insular in many ways. It sort of creates this very, very small community that is highly knowledgeable, but then the problem becomes, you know, really kind of massaging that so that there is a broader appeal and that people understand what all of this is without having kind of dive into this technical pool you know where like you got to learn you know about not only crypto but you have to actually learn how to how to move a digital asset an nft between wallets and that there's this thing called gas fees You know, and that, you know, there's an element of security that is absolutely necessary and involved. So, you know, it really kind of puts folks who are looking at all this at a disadvantage if they don't have that technical background. And and we are at a point where it's still relatively early. So all of this is being formed. So the early adopters, so to speak, they have taken the time to really learn, you know, the terminology and the ins and outs. And we're not there yet. I I, I don't know how long it'll be. It could be a, a year or two, but we're moving forward pretty quickly. But we're not there yet for a more mainstream adoption where, you know, the whole process is just going to be simplified and there's going to be a level of comfort by people who, you know, who aren't, you know, natives to crypto, natives to this technology. But that's where we are right now.
0: And we talk about natives. I mean, that's that generational portion, isn't it? Because, you Indeed. know, I mean, you you and I were not born digital, but, you Absolutely. know, my my kids certainly are. And by the way, I have a nine-year-old going on 10 and a five-year-old. So I feel your pain, brother. <laughs> We love them, but boy, all this gray hair. Anyway, so I get that some of this is if you're native to it, you know, it totally makes sense. And and maybe you want to protect it, right? Because you don't want it to be polluted or overpopulated or, you know, corrupted by a bunch of neophytes or idiots that don't, you know, and you talk about terminology, maybe being a gatekeeper. I mean, there is a whole aesthetic around this stuff. Like, you know, you'll go, I'll go to a, a Web3 website or a, a NFT website or something. And there is a very kind of specific aesthetic that also feels foreign on some level. I'm mm-hmm. I've suddenly, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm in a programming environment that yes. I, you know, that I'm not really made to understand uh, in an easy way.
1: Totally. That's another way that, you know, this stuff is sort of very cultish at the moment and very, very kind of insular in ways that I draw parallels to, you know, things like Supreme and Stussy and, you know, these like really important streetwear brands that affected the culture, but they begrudgingly became mainstream. You know, they had a crowd. They had an audience that was very, very, very tough, for it to kind of go outside of that. They protected it and considered it their culture, you know, for a great period of time. And I think that that is very much like what's happening in the NFT space where you have like, you know, these folks who who kind of want to keep all of this, you know, as something of their own. But that's what's fascinating about things that truly evolved and become game changers, you know, they begin with people who are really passionate and knowledgeable, you know, and they endeavor to kind of like protect, you know, that territory and, you know, tend to put up those gates, you know, and I think that what ends up happening is, you know, there is no way to really keep something innovative and revolutionary. Yeah, yeah. Small. You know,
0: right. Well, and you know, you're hitting on so many interesting things. I mean, the idea of exclusivity is certainly not new, right? I mean, you know, maybe exclusivity for years was really around socioeconomics. You could either afford something or you couldn't that Louis Vuitton bag, that Ferrari, whatever, like you were pro- And so street, you know, where brands, you mentioned Supreme, I mean, they invent, they really took it to a whole nother level in terms of limited edition drops and those kinds of things. And, you know, and I know I don't know their story specifically, but I'm guessing they took venture capital and as soon as you take venture capital, (laughs) you know, it's hard to stay, you know, independent and, and, you know, make that art. But anyway, but one of the fascinating things that I've observed is talk about kind of again going back to words and terminology and parlance, but culture, yeah. this idea of community.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: You know, I don't know, you know, me, you know, when I came up, you know, 80s, 90s, I guess, you know, the word community was not really used. I mean, Agreed. you know, if you were talking about it, if you were talking about brands or marketing, you talked about target audiences or markets totally. or market segments, things like this. But then totally. somewhere along the way, this idea of community was born, and you know, and maybe it started with millennials, but certainly mm-hmm. with Gen Y and Gen Z, this idea of community, they're part of a community, it seems like a new thing. Am I right or wrong about that?
1: You're 100% right about it, and I think that what has facilitated for this new paradigm is social media. The mm-hmm. way that we connect, the way that we can find each other, mm-hmm. the way that we can support each other. The way that we communicate with social media has allowed for these quote-unquote communities to form. And we really didn't have those those methods. You know, the closest we got was message boards. You know, in mm, in, mm. in the early internet days. Mm, you know, mm. and message boards were still very you know, clunky and, and you know, no notifications. You know what I mean? Yeah, like right, Like right, this whole right. like this whole notion of got to log in you know, and check, <laughs> yes, <laughs> right? Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. The smartphone being involved, you know, now with our daily life, you know, and our life being online for such a such a great portion of the day, you know, has really facilitated for these groups to form, and so a community is really at the heart of. The NFT space. The you know, NFT space is all about community.
0: Yeah, you know, as I'm listening to you talk and I'm thinking about this, I'm realizing that actually, I'm, I kind of want to rephrase what I said because the idea of community has evolved. Because in our world, you know, you know, back in the day, you know, Gen X coming up, for example, community was actually your neighborhood was actually Absolutely. that so, that softball league that you played yes. uh, to pick shop. up because you were single and you wanted to meet, you know, your future husband or wife or something, Com- you, know, you know, whereas community has, this idea of community has evolved into a more virtual idea so that social media has brought people farther apart, closer together, and perhaps people who are close together, farther apart.
1: Indeed, indeed. You know, community to me, you know, it, growing up was going to my You know, local BMX shop. Yes, BMX. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, brother. That's exactly right. That's we were a BMX gang, man. You would hang out at the shop. Right, 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 and things today are really that multiplied by a thousand. You know, where you know the shop is now Discord. You know, and Discord becomes this force where everyone is communicating and you know people are really driving ideas and you know there's for those folks out there who are not familiar with discord discord is a new social media channel that is a sort of an a catch all it kind of is live chat but it's also instagram but it's also facebook it really is kind of like this amalgamation of all of the social media channels in one and that is really where the nft action is taking place on discord and what's really interesting about discord is that you can lock channels so that only a particular NFT holder that can verify that they have that NFT in their wallet will have access to that channel. So it elevates the experience to the point where you really are actually using your NFTs to interact with the community. So it's no longer even just like, hey, I'm wearing this T-shirt. You're wearing the same T-shirt. Like, oh, yeah, we're cool. You know, now it's like you can actually use the technology to access that channel and know that no one else can unless they have that NFT. So it's it's really quite of an interesting scenario there.
0: I'm thinking, as I'm listening to you share that, I'm thinking, you know. Uh, membership of a club. I mean, you know, you you Absolutely. get that that card, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that gives you mm-hmm. access to that exclusive you know, club and like-minded folks, and it's yes. just gone online. And, and that NFT is the key that unlocks that, you know. But I want to say this before we continue, because we've referenced blockchain, we've referenced obviously NFTs and crypto and, you know, community and you know digital natives and we've we've kind of talked about all these these terms and trying to define them and understand them but the one term that we really haven't said too much maybe it was mentioned briefly and i think this is helpful i know it was helpful for me as i've sort of trying to learn about all this stuff but but hopefully it'll be helpful to our listeners but all of this all these things, crypto, NFTs, blockchain, community and stuff. This is
1: Web3. Yes, it? indeed. Yes, indeed. This so is Web3. Web three, three. Yes, indeed. 100%. So Web3, the main difference between Web3 and Web2 is that in Web3, the individual has a tremendous amount of power over their destiny and over how they interact with their world. And ultimately, you know, there are components to Web3 that have to do with, you know, with these like kind of buzzwords that are now really floating around, like decentralization, you know, and and then you have DeFi, which is decentralized finance. And you have a situation where the power to transact, and really the structure that Web 2 has provided, it really kind of gets turned upside down in Web 3 because you kind of now have the ability to do things that don't involve other institutions. So for instance, when you make a payment in the Web 3 space, you are not using any banking institutions you're making a payment directly from your digital wallet to whomever is you know receiving that payment so there is no intermediary there you know and at the same time when you go to verify something you use your own wallet And you can verify that that asset is in your own wallet. So there is no other third party involved in that scenario either. It's really all about kind of, in a way, eroding the infrastructure that is there when it comes to a lot of what we transact on a daily basis based on Web2. So banking is one of those things that is being greatly disrupted in web three because of this kind of direct communication and transactional nature of things.
0: Right. So you're hitting on so many important things and, you know, because on one hand, right. We're talking about liberation, emancipation, freedom, yes. empowerment for the individual, which is, yep. of course, what any Democrat might, we should want, <laughs> you know, or whatever, right? You know, and i am never been a fan of the middleman or never been a fan of that third party necessarily. However, you know, in the best sense, right, that third party that middleman should play or is meant to play, if it's not corrupted, is meant to play or provide a level of security, right? A level of of protection, you know, (laughs) right? right. And so, of course, that, you know, you go into this with the best of intentions. And then, of course, you know, that somehow gets corrupted or whatever. And you end up paying, you know, all kinds of extra fees. Or maybe they don't provide the protection even after you pay the fees or whatever it is. And so now we have this very liberated, emancipated, free environment, peer-to-peer, But yet maybe we don't have that security. So it feels like, you know, this is one of the things that I think people are talking about. It's like, where are we now with security and where is this going and how long will it take for things to be more secure if, and I'm guessing they can never be fully secure,
1: but speak on this for me if you don't mind. This is absolutely probably the biggest topic of discussion when it comes to, to really bringing folks from being really interested in all this to actually participating in this space. Security is truly a daunting sort of aspect of all of this because you're absolutely right. There is no security when it comes to interaction that is direct. So in other words, you know, if you are participating in the normal world, you know, you have a credit card. You might have a consumer protection uh, clause on that credit card that really protects you on on any purchase that you make. In other words, there is this sort of safety net there that is really a part of that system because we pay for it. We pay a tremendous amount of money to have this sort of infrastructure in place, where essentially we can do dumb things and still. Come out okay. So, in this world, it's very difficult to come back from doing something dumb. In other words, if you send your crypto to the wrong address, that's it. There is no recourse. The crypto is gone. It is not in your wallet, it is in someone else's wallet, and there is absolutely no recourse when it comes to that. So, you know, we're living in a world that needs to evolve, this new space needs to evolve to the point where there is a kind of a parallel that we draw from, from what does work in the in the web two space, you know, and really bring some of that into the web three space. And we're not there yet. But, but yes, security is a, is a huge issue. And, and you often hear right now of people losing their NFTs through scams, through phishing, through really, you know, kind of what you and I might think of as innocuous sort of transactions, all of a sudden it turns out that someone has stolen your entire stash of NFTs or or crypto or both. And that's very, very much a concern for me because That's really what's going to prevent for a greater adoption of all of this. It is a heightened sense of personal responsibility. And it is you that are responsible to kind of really interact in the sharpest, most smart way and never letting your guard down. And all of that is very much a very active part of this process is you know you have to be on your toes you can't just click on anything you can't just connect your wallet to some unknown site you know website you can't just like do things without actually stopping to think is this legit you know and we don't do that normally in the way of the way that we live you know you know we might be like you know we might question something if we're you know we're buying it off eBay or something like that. You know, maybe like, well, hopefully, this is real, hopefully, it comes in the mail. You know, but again, there's protections to that, and so on and so forth. But with the NFT space, with the crypto space, it really is you're flying by the seat of your pants without a net at this moment in time, and mistakes are very punishing. You know, like you make a mistake you must learn from that mistake there is no like you know repeating that mistake you'll always come out a loser if you do that you know like you know i can tell you that like one of the most sort of heart stopping moments for me is whenever i transfer something i like double and triple and quadruple check that address you know because if i'm sending something to the wrong address i know that that that's it there's no recourse no coming back so yeah, it's really like you can't be like casual about you know what you're doing. You can't like be like, "Oh yeah, click 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 and then, <laughs> you know, oh wait, 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 what just happened?"
0: Wait. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny it's funny. I mean, I can barely keep track of my keys and iPhone. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Like I said, this is, you know, with great freedom comes great responsibility, right? And and this is, this is it. And, you know, any gold rush, I mean, it's going to be dangerous, right? And which is why some people just sell shovels, right? Because this is, it's a wild, wild west kind of thing and it's exciting, but it's dangerous. And you have to be, you have to manage that risk and go into it with realistic expectations, you know, you you mentioned Discord, and you know, I was recently uh, a friend of mine was sort of explaining Discord to me, and I, she did a great job of it because I was wondering, I'd been hearing about it, and basically, yeah. and she's a she's a she and I go way back, and she's a Gen X or two, and but she's sort of you know, kind of in the world. And and she was just sort of simply saying, you know, Discord is fundamentally a portal to Web3, right? It indeed, is this indeed. gateway. this. And so she started to explain to me and it sounded like I totally got it, you know, when she explained it. But the one thing that I keep hearing about, and I heard it from her and I've heard it from other people, and I and I'm going to use this also as a segue into kind of the second part of our conversation here a little bit, yeah. which is, you know, and forgive the crass analogy, but if you build a monster, you got to feed it. And so, you know, with discord, yeah, sure. You can open that account and you can get that, you know, you get your channel going or what have you, but you've got to manage it. I mean, it is not, you know, it isn't, it can be a full-time job and done well, it probably is a full-time job. And, 100%. S- and this is the segue part, you know, for those new artists out there, you know, who are looking at the space, you know, and all they want to do is make art, you know, they they barely want to run their own business half the time. (laughs) You know, It's like, I talk to artists all the time, and they lament filing their taxes, and they lament, you know, having to write that invoice or whatever, because they just want to make art. And so it's an interesting kind of conundrum, because on one hand, you know, I think there's a lot of artists that want to be part of this cutting edge, kind of community building and new way of monetizing their work and stuff. But it also comes with real responsibility to, to manage that community.
1: Yes, it does. And this is really another, another really compelling new aspect to this world is that there is a relationship that is now expected between the artist and their audience. Prior to this age, You know, an artist could really do their work and have their work speak for itself. And, you know, there was no real interaction between the artist and their audience, nor was there an expectation for there to be. Today, as young people have really been the driving force of this space, and as young people, have become innate to being online all the time and to communicating with their friends and contacts and and whomever online on a very active basis. They have now established this new norm for anyone that is producing something that is going to be you know, really, really responsible for that dialogue. So there's now a dialogue, a conversation that is really an expectation. It's something that artists have to really study and look at and see how they're going to make that work for themselves. Because this is not going, you know, this is really moving forward. It's not moving back. So what I see is, that artists who really don't want to embrace this level of interaction and they don't want to, you know, have a discord channel and they don't want to, you know, really have that conversation. They are at a disadvantage and they will continue to be at a greater and greater disadvantage because those artists will be seen as out of touch. And, they won't be perceived as current and as vital because what is current and what is vital is being driven by this younger generation that has set forth a new level of expectation for that relationship. So in many ways, the relationship has evolved to the point where, The ability for the artist to connect to their audience, well, that is no longer an option. It is an expectation. So whereas before you might have had artists who, you know, who had a great blog, you know, or had a great website or had a great YouTube channel or had, you know, a great Instagram, you know, that's now not enough. That's now something that might represent a a sort of a bare minimum. What is now becoming really much more expected, especially as you enter this space, this NFT space, is this new level of interaction and communication. So it is really fascinating how things are changing because for artists, they have to either figure out how to work with someone that will manage their community and, and really give them the keys to sort of do that and to be their voice, and to be the person that really kind of expresses, you know, what the artist is thinking or saying, and have that person, you know, be responsible for that, or the artist has to do it themselves. And I can tell you that a lot of young artists spend a lot of time on Discord, and these social media channels to really build their career and but it's paying off for them. So one thing that I will mention that is really from my perspective and my history as being a traditional collector in the contemporary art space, what this is all kind of changing rapidly is the way that the gallery, the gallery used to have the bulk of, of this responsibility. The gallery used to be that medium that allowed for the artist to kind of be in the back and for the gallery to be that mouthpiece and be communicating with the audience and and being that kind of filter and so on, that conduit. But really the gallery has suffered, you know, a tremendous amount of erosion when it comes to that power, you know, because. The gallery was in in power of that communication. And now that has shifted to the artists themselves. And there's a lot of things in the NFT space that are really tearing away at that gallery model that was so important and prominent in the career of an artist prior to this time.
0: 100%. And talk about Gatekeeper. You know, my whole thing about, you know, the gallery system has been that, you know, quite frankly, it's one business model that doesn't serve 99.9% of artists, (laughs) right? And it gets 50% uh, or more. And listen, it is to have a business model like that. What we need is more business models. What we need is more innovation. Absolutely. Yes, and indeed. that's what I love about everything we're talking about It because I'm yep. all for, and I know we're on the same page here, we're all for technologies and, and innovations that shift the power, you know, yep. back to the artist or to, you know, to the individual and moves away from this gatekeeping nature. And, you know, and I think there's a, you know, it feels like there's a reckoning. I mean, the the paces and the gagosians yeah. of the world, they're fine, they're not going anywhere. But yeah. the the smaller galleries, I mean, there was a reckoning, you know, during COVID, sadly. But but anyway, so it feels like there's eventually over time, anyway, they're gonna figure out a way, right, to work together or not, I guess, but but we need this innovation
1: one way or another. We do, we do. And galleries need to figure out a new business model and a new way to you know to be a component of the business, you know, of art. Because part of the reason why we're having such a strong response at the kind of erosion of the gallery is because that business model, you know, you said it, like, it serves an extreme few. And it was never about really developing careers. It was never about, you know, bringing talent to the forefront. It is more about exploiting that talent Mm, it is more mm, about mm, profiting from mm, that talent mm, it is more about really taking the best an artist has to offer and monetizing that and in fact the artist not benefiting to the greatest degree from their own efforts and that is really kind of just it's getting torn apart by this new you know this new paradigm that's moving in
0: absolutely. And it's a fascinating, and I'm thrilled by it. I mean, you know, I, but you know, my issue, I think one of the fundamental issues at play, and whether we're talking about the gallery system or whether we're talking, talking about, you know, web three, if our goal is to put more money in artists pockets, because that's our, that's my goal. That's our goal. Everything we try to do, you know, for 20 years has been about trying to help artists monetize their work in novel ways and that innovation. Right. But the flip side of that is, growing demand mm-hmm. growing demand right mm-hmm. because one of the things that struck me you know when clubhouse exploded uh, during the pandemic you know i was a fly on the wall i was just listening and it was interesting to hear of course artists talk about nfts because that seemed to be what everyone was talking about and it was the hope and the promise that nfts Stirred up was amazing because, of course, artists were feeling like, wait a minute, maybe this is the justice we've been seeking. Maybe this is the silver bullet, the idea of a smart contract to make royalties into perpetuity. All of this was amazing and quite innovative. And yes, it's all true. But again, we've got to grow demand for the art because the market is somewhat limited. And so I think that's a big part of this, right? It's like as we, you know, democratizing art is one thing, but that is what we're doing. But the flip side of that is growing demand and empowering regular folks to feel like they can participate.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think that we are on a track to grow this demand, and it really has so much to do kind of coming back to where youth are today, and where they're going, and how they embrace a digital asset as a possession. So to grow the demand is really going to have to be focused on the simplification of collecting the work of transacting within the space of security becoming a simpler concern. And, and I think that those are the things that are going to really be the The major doors to open, you know, this kind of technical stuff that we've been talking about, the terminology, the, you know, the issues involved with crypto and handling crypto and all of those things, you know, they're definitely preventing from this to grow in an exponential way that really brings the mainstream in. But we're starting to see brands come into the space. We're starting to see a tremendous amount of. Experimentation with, you know, the media, music, you know, outside of art, movies. Like, there's a whole lot of activity going on in these sort of different spaces that are continuing to spur the conversation on. And the interest is there. It's just really to grow it where, like, you know, you start to see millions of people who are you know relatively casual about technology come into this you know we're going to have to have more solutions that are simple and succinct you know and all of that is coming and i think that when we really get to the point where screens are going to be ubiquitous in our home beyond tv then we're in a new era completely new era and it's coming it's coming because you know the idea of having you know this like beautiful thin screen that's high res be a part of your wall and for that to be a carousel for artwork like I don't think that there is a tremendous threshold for that to really be effectuated you know because like The prices are coming down for this technology, you know, and it's just, I think, you know, beyond the enthusiast right now who might have these screens up in their home already. And, you know, and they're casting their NFTs onto them and they're, you know, they're impressing their buddies with all that, you know, like beyond these enthusiasts, I think that that mainstream is coming. Samsung you know, and screens like screen makers like Samsung and LG, they're looking at all of this with tremendous potential, you know. So, you know, once we move one small step beyond a screen being considered a TV, and where it becomes a multi purpose surface, that might even be you know, touch sensitive, then we're really in a, in just, we're in a new world. And I don't think that that is too far along and imagine the creative possibilities, you know, for artists in that regard.
0: Absolutely. I'm starting to realize that, uh, and I hate to say this, I'm only half joking, of course, but this idea of that paintings and sculpture of physical art will be relegated to the antique shop, you know? (laughs) You know, I mean, you know, it's, this is where it's going and uh, you know, and, and so it's a fascinating, amazing thing. So, Ronnie, tell me this. So let's role play here for a second, okay? I'm a young artist. Better yet, I'm not a young artist because young artists know what to do. Okay, I'm an older artist, right? I'm in my fifties. You know, I've come up more through a traditional, you know, uh, background. I went to art school. Uh, you know, I've been in a gallery show or two. I maybe I'm even even a museum, but maybe not. Probably not. But I'm, you know, I'm a working artist, and I'm fascinated about how I can. Interweb 3. I'm fascinated about how I can begin to bring my art into the NFT landscape. What advice do you give me? Where do I start? Where do I go? How do I begin?
1: First of all, I think you have to give yourself, you have to be really patient with yourself and you can't rush into you know, the answer for what that extension to your practice might end up being. But you have to look at it in a way that The NFT medium may be an extension of your practice. It won't replace your core practice. If you're a painter, it won't replace the fact that you're a painter. It must be a logical extension of your work. So, what might that be? Well, you have to look at what is possible to think of what that might be. So, whether it's animation, Whether it's video, whether it's generative code, whether it's, you know, some sort of mix of all of that, there is an element of kind of evaluation. And to a degree, I think that a traditional artist has to just think about what it is that they're expressing, what it is that is truly their voice, what is it that is their statement, because there may be new tools that allow for that to you know be articulated in ways that that they were doing with older tools. So there really isn't a a kind of a roadmap or a prescription. You know, I think that it really is about looking at this space with reverence and learning and immersing yourself in it. And you know, not every artist is gonna to want to do that. But I think that for the artists that want to kind of figure out where all this is going and to see if there are opportunities in this new space for them, then they can't look at it pejoratively. They can't look at it with resistance, they can't look at it with with like, you know, this level of hesitation that's going to prevent them from, from really just being open to learning and to new ideas. In other words, I think that you have to kind of be like really at a point where you're taking it all in without judgment and you're taking it all in and you're thinking thoughtfully about how you can use this digital medium for your work and thinking and thinking and thinking is the key, I think, because ultimately... I see a lot of a lot of artists kind of think that an NFT should be just like an animated version of their art or you know something to that degree but that is you know like not understanding the work of Sol LeWitt you know where like you think that like oh Saul LeWitt like like he's just like creating these instructions so like maybe my work should be just like these instructions you know and like no no like there's a concept and it's this idea that's much bigger than just than just than what's just contained in these instructions like you have to you know really understand that the tools will allow you to be creative in ways that maybe you weren't able to fulfill before you know so i think that you know the more you look at the nft medium the more you realize that concept can be truly, truly a driving force, you know, and the execution is not necessarily the sort of the star of the show, you know, you can really, really kind of apply a layer of, of intellect and a layer of, you know, real kind of complex thinking in terms of the statements that you're trying to make and and how those statements may live on permanently, you know, like a painting is something that, you know, you think of, it could last many, many years, hundreds of years, but for an artist, I think to start to think about using the blockchain so that their work lives on literally forever, starts to give you another perspective as to how like, you might be able to channel your voice and, you know, and kind of that crazy, infinite timeline that you're now dealing with and, you know, where you want to go with stuff like that, you know?
0: What I love about what you're suggesting and saying is that it actually is spot on, for artists and artistry and what i mean by that is you know artists and artistry is about is a cerebral exercise you know done well done right right and i think there's a lot of artists out there who maybe are experiencing a sense of fomo they're anxious they're trying to rush in or maybe they're they feel bad about not rushing in like i'm missing out and what you're saying is no actually take your time learn learn 100%. Think it through, read, read up, ponder it, because it really is a medium and you want your art, if you're an artist who's trying to say something, figure out what you want to say in this medium. Don't worry about, you know, rushing in because at the end of the day, that's a recipe for failure.
1: 100%. You know, I see so many artists that think that that we're in some sort of sprint, that we're in some sort of like, you know, race to get to that finish line, like... I must put out an NFT to be relevant, you know, but really, you know, you have to think about, you know, how that works, you know, in your normal art practice, like, you know, would you rush a painting? You know, would you rush a sculpture? Would you, you know, because like, you know, people are waiting to see it. Like, you know, are you, does that change, you know, the way that you approach your work? Because like, it shouldn't. It shouldn't because really, you know, the successful artists who are, you know, really making tremendous moves in the space are really dialed in. They have these sort of components to their work that are, you know, extremely well thought out. You know, you have guys out there, and I will name a few, Mad Dog Jones, Fuck Render, Victor Mosquera, Beige. Dot Pigeon, Sky Golpe, etc., etc. These artists, some of them, like Sky Golpe, for instance, is a graffiti artist. Yet he has blown up in the NFT space because he's bringing some of those concepts that he developed on the street into this digital medium. And a guy like Mad Dog Jones, he grew up. In a family that produced stained glass. So, the colors and the compositions and the lines that he, you know, grew up around, that has been integrated into his work in this space. And so, you know, it's so much about kind of like finding that path that really is the synthesis, you know, this real thoughtful way to take what you know, and what you're expressing, and using the medium to its fullest capacity. What you're
0: referencing, I think, is an organic extension, right? Like, it's got to feel
1: and be organic to who you are, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's not easy to figure out. You know, that's a challenge. You know, it is. But I think that the artists who meet that challenge with you know, vigor, you know, and embrace the possibilities, they have a whole incredible new path ahead. You know, they can really embrace something new. That's, I think, you know, ultimately with digital artists, probably a little easier, but that doesn't mean it can't be done. Like I was saying, you know, I was really fascinated by how Sky Golpe has, you know, taken his you know, his sort of thesis. So like, I'll give you a really quick summary of like some of the innovative things that he would do in London when he was running around with Banksy. What he would do is that he would draw lines on the street around shadows. And so those shadows would only appear at a certain time. So then those lines then became these like weird sort of representations of what was there and what might be there again. But if you're not there at the moment when that shadow is encapsulated in those lines, then you really don't know the full story and his notion of like playing with this like weird concept of time and how art can be like this, like fleeting moment, but at the same time it can capture something really solid and meaningful. Like, he brought that into the digital space and, and his work is now, you know, really informed by that thesis, by this notion of like shadow and time and, you know, and fleeting, the fleeting nature of life and, you know, everything around us. And so, you know, I would say that that's someone who really sat down and thought about what they're saying and what it is that they want to convey. And, brought it into this digital space.
0: Ronnie, why do you love art? Why do you collect art really deep down? Like, you know, clearly you're so passionate. What is it about art that makes you a uh, happy person?
1: Yep, yes. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. To me, it's it's really about communication. You know, I really love art, especially because the communication inherent is multidimensional. And it's not necessarily, you know, the same for everyone. You know, it's the way that you look at something and then, you know, the way that your mind kind of responds to that. And there's this wonderful sort of feeling that I personally get around art that is like, it draws me out to another world. You know, it brings me into a meditative state of sorts you know, I look at something and it's, you know, it pulls me out of, you know, the realities of every day, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and I say that kind of, you know, not wanting to sound like art is like this like mystical thing. But I do believe that art has the best art has tremendous power to bring you into sort of another dimension where you're like, really dialed in to what is happening in that world, you know, and to me, you know, like, the greatest art is still from a movie, you know, like, you know, in a movie, you're there, and you're purposefully engaged for a period of time. Well, for a piece of art, you know, you look at it, and it's sort of like this moment in time, potentially, and You know, whether it's a sculpture or a painting or it could be an animation. I mean, at the end of the day, these they're just glimpses of something. And I just love, love, love being able to kind of dive in to, you know, kind of the artist's mind, you know, and, you know, thinking about where they were coming from on, you know, like how their life experience has led them to this, you know, to this rendition, you know, and all that stuff. It just, it's just, it's fanciful. It makes me imagine and wonder.
0: You're such an advocate, you know, and for artists really at the end of the day, I think. And, you know, Christie's has connected. You have this relationship with Christie's now and you're advocating for artists within that, you know, organization, which is very traditional in its nature, and yes, you and and, yes. and they've and they've reached out to you to help them connect to this new world. I mean, what an honor, what a privilege! And you have a big auction coming up, do you not?
1: Yes, yes. So it's next month, and it's called Trespassing, and it's our third version, and it is really something that has grown over the years. Last year, we had NFTs integrated into the sale and it was extraordinarily well received and it really brought a whole new life to that particular event and this year we have a lot more nfts in the mix of the contemporary and it just creates this really dynamic dialogue you know and you're able to see those dots you know and that's part of what i aim to do is to connect these spheres that might seem you know apart but really to have that dialogue you know, in between these spheres, you know, where, you know, we can talk about why that NFT is important, but we can also talk about why this, you know, contemporary art piece is also important.
0: Mm, mm. You know, we probably touched on some of this, but, you know, what are some of the challenges and barriers that you're seeing as you try to, you know, bridge these gaps from, for Christie's to some of their more high profile collectors? I mean, it must, (laughs) I mean, talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, well, you know, the average Christie's client is a senior citizen, Mm. believe it or not. Sure. I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah,
0: they've got all the money.
1: (laughs) Got all the money. But, you know, I think that what I'm finding exciting is that I can kindle a dialogue amongst different generations. And that is really exciting to me because ordinarily – that older generation may have nothing to talk about with the younger generation, literally nothing. But I'm trying to give them something to discuss. And the young people are able to sort of have something of their own that is relevant and vital. And the older folks sort of are a component of that mix that if they see the appreciation from the younger generations, then they are they start to to lower their barriers because they know that things change. You know, Warhol was a groundbreaking artist. Before he was doing his his pop art, you know, in Liechtenstein, you know, they were laughed at. They were literally like jokes within the art world. And I mean obviously they're they're titans today. They are definitive of their movements in art and you know i think that we're at exactly at that time with nfts is you know you you have the folks who have this tremendous amount of resistance but then you also have the advocates and the evangelists such as myself who are you know in that spectrum and i'm not trying to change anyone's mind what i'm trying to do is to spur dialogue to create A conversation. So I don't want to argue whether an NFT is good or bad. You know, I want to talk about what the medium is doing today and who are the driving forces in that medium. And so, you know, there isn't a right or wrong, in other words. You know, I'm trying to really harness a conversation that can take place between generations and have a forum to do that in. And Christie's has provided the flexibility and, you know, and the accommodation for this dialogue to take place. And I'm, you know, incredibly grateful for them for doing that because they don't need to, but, but they do need to on the one hand, because they are now looking at the future and what is driving the future? Where is their business going? Is their business going to be in selling old masters? No. You know, they're increasingly young folks are not interested in those historical works. Where are those works going to go? I don't know. That's a different question. Museums are having problems. Museums are having problems bringing in young people because it's not exciting. We need for art to be exciting for young people to embrace it and to, you know, to keep driving it forward without excitement, without a level of, of real zeal and joy then then we're really at a tremendous disadvantage. And NFTs, no matter what you want to say, have created an incredible amount of energy and have brought people into collecting that weren't there before. And these young people, it's their gateway. They will evolve as collectors. I started collecting Cause Toys, and that was the very, very beginning. That was... You know, that's what made sense to me as far as, hey, you know what? Like, you know, I don't want to collect that Warhol print. It means nothing to me. But this cause joint, this Mickey that is like, I don't know, is it dead? Is it like, what is it saying? It's it's hilarious. I know that. Like, you know, and, you know, like that began an incredible journey that I'm now, you know, 20 years deep into. NFTs are doing that for young people. So if anything, if anything, we have to look at how excited these young folks are about this, and how this is their gateway, this is their beginning, this is how they will evolve, you know, and so you have to kind of look at it from that perspective, you know, where like, you know, who's ultimately going to be around, you know, at these auctions, at these events, at these institutions, at these venues, in 10 to 20 years, you know, and, you know, we have our answer, you know, and, and it's going to be, you know, the board apes, you know, it's going to be, you know, these very, very meaningful NFT projects that have become a part of the culture through the youth on the most, in the most organic way. And this is what they know. This is what is meaningful to them. Like you ask somebody like, why would you pay six figures of money for a CryptoPunk? Well, the fact is that there's more to it than just the image. There's an incredible amount of history and going back to where we started, the community. There is a community that supports that work that is ultimately what is meaningful to them. And I think that that's... That's what we have to kind of think about when we look at NFTs and you think, well, are they the future? Are they not? Are they a part of where everything is going? I think the answer is clear that they are. And it's really just looking at what the young folks are interested in. This is what they're embracing.
0: You know, you've just hit on so many things that I have to have you back for part two. Okay. (laughs) Because, because, you know, this idea, I'd love to have a whole conversation around the psychology of a collector versus the psychology of an art lover Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. how those things uh, are similar and different, right? Because you, you mentioned the Bored Apes and, you know, it was, you know, so many artists that I know were, of course... Hugely offended. <laughs> right. Yes. And I, I could, was like, I no, it's not about it. collectors are collecting things because they're rare, you know, it's, and they yes. don't really give many of them don't care, maybe, about the quality of the art, but that it's the scarcity of it is what is so powerful, you know.
1: Indeed, indeed. And there's a key word. And when I come back, we can really dive into this. There's a key word, a key word that is really a very, very deep topic in art and how nfts relate to art and that word is utility utility so you can't explain the relevance and the import of the board apes without going into an essay on how utility is the true underpinning for that project
0: mm. Oh, boy, what a cliffhanger.
1: <laughs> I
0: love this. Ronnie, man, you are fantastic. I'm so grateful Thank for you brother. coming on and, you know, best my of pleasure. luck with the auction and everything else you're doing, man. You've turned your passion and your expertise as an art historian as well into a thriving life and career. And, you know, you have a dream job, my friend. You're you're living your best life, as they say.
1: I appreciate that very much. I feel the same way. I'm super, super fortunate. I am I love every minute, you know, the notion of being able to, you know, to work in this space while it's sort of literally evolving, you know, kind of history in real time. This is all super exciting for me.
0: Well, fantastic. Ronnie Pervino, thanks so much for coming on. And we're going to sign off now, but don't go anywhere. Stay right there. Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Pajot and Desi DeLauro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.